are listening to Meet and Write, a podcast that dives into liturgical worship and how communion really begins after church. Well, welcome to another episode of Meets and Write. We're really excited to be doing part two of our discussion that we began last time of God versus science. And is it really God versus science? Or, you know, what are the similarities or differences as I approach my knowledge or experience of knowing more of who God is? And what science is? Is my approach to both the same or not? So we're very excited to have with us Emmanuel Gerges. Emmanuel Gerges is a professor of Orthodox Systematic Theology and the academic dean at Holy Transfiguration College. He received his Master of Theology degree from the University of Balamand and his Master of Letters degree in Divinity from St. Mary's College, University of St. Andrews. He is currently finishing his doctorate in Systematic Theology and Alexandrian Patristics at the University of Aberdeen. He is an author, translator, and lecturer on various topics, including Systematic Theology, Theological Anthropology, Patristics, and the Coptic Orthodox Church. Well, thank you very much, Manny, for taking your time and being with us today. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me. So, kind of like as a review of what we talked about last time is, we talked about our baseline as a follower of Christ, is that I have to understand that I'm limited and God is unlimited. And we kind of capture that in the first words of Liturgy of the Faithful when we celebrate the Eucharist. We say, oh God, the great, the eternal, that God is unlimited and I'm limited. And we said like that baseline mentality is vital as I grow to know more of who my Heavenly Father is. And it's vital also when I study science. So with that being said, you know, what are the similarities and differences and how I approach both topics or both subjects if the baseline is the same, which is that apathetic uh, theology, which is like I'm limited and the one I'm seeking is unlimited. So we'd love to hear your thoughts, Manny, on that. Right. Um, Yeah, of course, there is uh, a difference between how I relate to God and how I approach science. and. I think, as you mentioned in the liturgy, it's it's indicative that God, while unlimited, um, he presents himself to us who are limited. Now, uh, just to recap uh, the notion of the difference between apophatic and cataphatic, I'm just going to uh, define those terms for our audience. Uh, apophatic means negative theology or negative language, Um, not negative as in uh, something bad, but negative as in when we say God is unlimited or ineffable or infinite. So he's not finite. He is not limited. So it's negating a category. The opposite of this word apophatic is cataphatic. And this is a positive word. So when we, for example, when we say God is love or God is mighty uh, or God is uh, merciful, all these positive definitions is called cataphatic. So sometimes when we are trying to uh, express our relationship to God, we run out of words and we run out of human categorical knowledge. and we just stand in awe. And at that point, we start using words, but in a negative manner, meaning we're not exactly sure what to say about this experience we had with God. So we're going to say, well, he's not this and he's not that. Instead of saying, 
well, he is this or that. Uh, so I just wanted to make the, the, the distinction between what is apophatic and what is cataphatic. But mm -hmm. coming back to the main question, um, I'd like to, first of all, um, make a distinction between uh, how ancient philosophies saw God and how Christianity sees God. In the ancient times, at the time when Plato or Aristotle wrote their uh, philosophical works, they thought that God is this inanimate, unmovable God who is not willing to uh, extend himself out to his creatures. Mm. So because he's unmovable, it's like he's just sitting on a chair watching things from far above, and he's not willing to step down and relate to his creatures or to his creation. But in Christianity, we actually have a completely different view of who God is, because our God is someone who is moving towards man and did not keep himself from man at any stage in the human divine interaction. So from the earliest time, if you were to summarize the message of the Old Testament, man is asking God, who are you? And God is responding, I am who I am, mm -hmm. right? And when man is not able to perhaps understand the totality of what that means, God, again, moving towards his creation, he makes himself available in fleshly format, in a manner that we can touch and see, right? Yeah. So when we speak about the Christian God and when we speak about theology, we are talking about a self-revealing God. In science, however, we let's say we are examining a cell or we, we're examining some sort of a, a new uh, material that we, we discovered. That material or that cell is not self-revealing, meaning it remains ambiguous until we start going through a set of procedures and examining this material or this cell, putting it under the microscope and subjecting it to certain methodologies in order to finally discover what it is. And therefore, I would like to draw again another distinction between comprehension and apprehension. In, in English, when we say we comprehend something, it means that we can wrap our minds around this one thing and understand it fully. But when we say we apprehend something, it means that we are barely grasping certain characteristics of something and we're really at the mercy of what this thing reveals to us, right? So when we speak uh, about God, um, I'd actually like to um, share a, a very small example that Origin of Alexandria had given in this topic of understanding or uh, researching or studying theology. He says, let us suppose, for example, that there existed a statue of so great a size as to fill the whole world, but which on account of its immensity was imperceptible to anyone, and that another statue was made similar to it in every detail, in shape of limbs, outline of features, in form and material, but not in its immense size, 
so that those who were unable to perceive and behold the immense one could yet be confident that they had seen it when they saw the small one. Because this preserved every line of limbs and features and the very form and material with an absolutely indistinguishable similarity. And so what we have here, what Origen is trying to say is, unlike science, God, who is unlimited, as it says in Hebrews 1, in these last days, have presented to us Jesus Christ, who says that he who has seen me has seen the Father. Again, in Hebrews, it says that the Son, or Jesus Christ, is the express image of his person. What that tells us is when we start speaking about apophatic theology in terms of who God is, we are on a journey, and this journey is slowly revealing to us who God is. So we cannot say that God is unknowable because we cannot wrap our minds around him. Well, God is continuously revealing himself to us. He is in a continuous movement towards man. And and that's exactly what we say in in the liturgy. You know, we start by saying God, the great, the eternal, but not, we don't just end it there, but we say you have manifested yourself to us, which is exactly what you're saying and exactly what Origen said. Exactly, exactly. And so when we speak about theology and when we speak about apprehension of God, Apprehension means that we are standing again in humility in front of God. And we are asking him questions, and he is continuously answering those questions. And when we stand in front of science, again, the example of the cell, we are looking at the cell under the microscope, and we are asking specific other questions to the cell But the cell is not necessarily revealing itself to us because it's not a rational being, right? A cell is just an irrational particle. And therefore, when I evaluate a cell under the microscope, I am asking the two questions, what is this and how does it operate, right? Meanwhile, if I'm standing in front of God who is self-revealing, I'm not going to ask him, what are you? Or how do you work? Because he's self-revealing. So I'm going to ask him a a different set of questions. So I'm going to ask God, God, who are you? So so you're basically saying the questions that I ask in science are one category of questions. And And when I'm approaching who God is, I have to ask a completely different set of questions. Absolutely. And I ask God, who are you? And in the Old Testament, he will tell me I am who I am. And then he will, when I ask a little bit more, when when I have the Holy Spirit within me, I will ask again, God, who are you? And he will say, well, I am Jesus Christ. I am the Son of God, and I'm here to reveal to you the reality of God in a tangible way, in a seen way, in a touched way. And um, then we can advance in our line of questioning with God. And we start saying, Lord, why? Why do these things happen? Why is man suffering? And he will say, because man sinned and because uh, there's there's the fall. And then we will come back to him and say, Lord, why were you incarnate? And he will say, well, because I love you. And, And so 
the relationship that we have with God, we have with a rational being. And when we are talking to a rational being, we're using a completely different set of questions. Who are you and why this relationship or why um, these things that happen? And of course, the answers are going to be different. And because we are in a relationship with a being, the being is revealing himself to us bit by bit, not because he's obscure or ambiguous or cryptic, but because we do not have the mental capacity to process his immensity and to process his unlimitedness. And therefore, we are continuously in a journey of knowing and of learning about God. Now, I mean, just look, yeah. I mean, just you laying it out like that, it's clear that my journey of, of asking those questions to know who God is, is clearly a longer period of time to, right. to, to know who he is compared to the questions that I ask of knowing who science is. You can see how one is, is a continuous journey or relationship and the other kind of reaches a point of what are you? Um, it, it's very different of how you approach both. Of course. And, you know, in science, I'm going to ask the cell, what is this? And I'm, I'm going to ask, how does it work? And once I discover that this is, um, you know, a certain cell uh, that functions in a certain way in the human body, I've That's now right. comprehended. I am fully aware of what happens and how does, how, how does this cell contribute to the human body? Whereas in relating to God, you know, imagine talking to uh, you know, uh, if you are in a, re a relationship with your fiance or with your wife, this is a, you know, a live journey of getting to know that person. It's not simply, uh, you don't get the full knowledge of your uh, fiance or, or your spouse uh, in, in six months. Uh, you are continuously discovering the other. Um, and God is a being. We say, oh, you the being right in the liturgy yeah and therefore that brings us you know full circle back into the type of knowledge uh, that we use in approaching science is philosophical however the sort of knowledge that we uh, use in our relationship with god is experiential mm. and i can draw a distinction between both types because to a philosopher, and, and science, modern science, is the philosophy of our time, that's because both science and philosophy rely on the senses. So a philosopher or a scientist is going to experience uh, a phenomenon through, his, uh, through seeing, through hearing, through touching, through one of the senses, and then he's going to go on a journey to explore this observation yeah. however in our apprehension of god we are relating to god through our noetic faculty noetic means our rational soul that which can reach out in prayer uh, in a life of prayer in a, in a life of asceticism in a life of humility and sometimes we stand before god and we have an experience, yet this experience cannot be necessarily capped or detailed in expressive language. I mean, sometimes, for example, we, 
if we just go out and, and have a beautiful scenery in front of a lake or just be- beautiful nature, sometimes we just give a sigh, you know, like we say, ah, right? This, yeah, there's this, no words sometimes. There are no words to describe it. When we say there are no words to describe it, we're not saying that it is unintelligible. Yeah. But what we're saying is it is far superior to any human language that we possess. Nonetheless, when we come back from this experience, we can now relate and compare this experience of God that we had with the rest of the body of Christ, with the, with the tradition of the church. For example, you'll have Origen writing on prayer. You'll have Evagrius Ponticus writing on prayer. You'll have many other saints um, in the 4th and 5th century writing on prayer. Then you'll have, you know, maybe uh, Isaac of uh, Isaac the Syrian or Evram the Syrian again writing on prayer. And then you have someone like in the modern time, Pope Shenouda or Father Matthew the Poor writing on prayer. When all these men write on prayer in different points in history, the one thing you can be assured of is when you read all these accounts on prayer, they relate the same truth about God. And therefore, this is how we guard our experience. It's not an experience that we have individually and that cannot be affirmed, but it is an experience that has been continuously lived throughout the history of the church. And therefore, we come back always to the liturgy as the climax of that experiential theology in which all the bodies of Christ stand in church and have this empirical or experiential theology of perceiving and of apprehending the divine meaning and the divine message. And we don't simply subject this experience to our philosophical categories, but we transcend these categories in, uh, in experience. Just like in a, in a, in a, a marriage, like, like an example you gave, I don't just say, I know my wife and that's it, but it's a lifelong journey. And the right. same with the liturgy. I don't just say, oh, I went to liturgy last Sunday and that was it. I united with God at the Eucharistic table and that's it. But it's a lifelong journey of coming closer and closer to my self-revealing Heavenly Father. Exactly. Exactly. And we, we should always trust that God is so loving as to always continuously move towards us I'm reminded of Psalm 35, you know, in your light shall we see light. When Christ came, and Christ is light, um, as the Gospel of John says, we were able to see more than what people typically in the Old Testament were, were able to perceive about God. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why in, in Hosea 10, uh, we hear the prophet saying, enlighten yourselves with the light of knowledge. Now, that's something that we should all uh, aspire to and, and work towards is, is to have the light of knowledge of God. Uh, however, we should always distinguish between the type of knowledge that we're perceiving. Is it scientific and philosophical knowledge that will employ our mind uh, and our philosophical language and, and logic in an attempt to comprehend God? Or is it um, the purifying of the soul and the enlightenment of the mind with a relationship with God that will allow us to apprehend little by little uh, the immense glory that shines forth from him. Yeah, and I can't just rely on my senses. 
like because my senses yeah. are, are limited but it's so much more profound and more intimate than just relying on my senses to come close to my heavenly father absolutely i mean consider someone who is blind or someone who's deaf or mute are they incapable is is the quality of their soul uh, and its uh, noetic powers to apprehend god any less than mine just because i can see or hear or talk no of course not uh, a soul is uh, you know is not bound by the uh, sensible or the the uh, senses and the faculties that we have a soul is created in order its sole purpose is communication and relationship with the creator and and that and that's why the liturgy is so beautiful is that we all come together some of us have all our senses some of us don't some of us are you know 80 years old some of us are or four months old by the end of the day when we're all gathered around the table we're all able to experience who god is because he is self-revealing not someone that just hides himself someone high in the sky that we can never see but he comes down to unite with us and, and that's exactly what we're trying to capture here in this podcast of that each sunday i can take one baby step closer to seeing who this self-revealing father is to me that he's not just somebody high in the sky but somebody that wants to come into my life and somebody that i can apply not just on sunday but i can live out the next day absolutely as as uh, as my name reflects he is god with us he's not god apart from us well just like how god is with us we would love to have you with us again manny <laughs> on the next episode where we can look into what does time actually mean in liturgy? Are we just celebrating something, an historical event that happened 2,000 years ago at the Last Supper? Or is it something so much more than that? So I would love to have you again, Manny, and thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Meet and Write. For more episodes and resources, make sure to check out CoptaKimsInEnglish.com.